Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. So... Every episode of Detoxicity covers a variety of topics. Me and my interview subject usually don't stay on just one thing. And uh, I'd like to think that for a lot of the episodes I do, the overarching topic, or one of the overarching topics, is resilience and the ability to bounce back from things that have happened to you or things that you've done to yourself or things that you've learned over the course of your life that turned out to be either incorrect or maybe not valid in your specific instance. Anyway, uh, the person that I talked to in this episode is Jack McDonald. Uh, Jack is a writer. He's a comedian. He is a <laughs> competitor. He is a karaoke fan. He's a trivia fan. He uh, is originally from the Chicago area, uh, has spent most of the last uh, few years out in L.A. and is now back in Chicago uh, following a, a divorce. And we do talk a lot about... Uh, kind of the divorce and all of the surrounding situations uh, over the course of this episode. Uh, in addition to divorce, we talk about depression and uh, mental illness and suicide. So there's a, uh, I guess, a content warning that you need to hear there. Um, we talk about relationships and the, the, the complicatedness is complicatedness the word? The complicatedness of relationships. Uh, we talk about being bullied and while you're growing up and uh, relationships with parents, relationships with significant others, relationships with friends. Um, it all kind of comes out in Jack's story, and it's a really engaging conversation, and I hope you enjoy. So, without further ado, you don't need to hear any more of me blathering. Let's listen to Jack. I'm Jack McDonald. I'm a grumpy 47-year-old, originally from the suburbs of Chicago, just spent seen years out in Los Angeles, and have recently moved back to Chicago for reasons that I imagine we will touch on, and it's very nice to be back around my family and friends here. Okay, that's a very sunny side up rationalization for moving back to Chicago. You gave me a lot to work with, and... I'm almost not sure where to start. I like to keep keep people confused, so good. Yeah. <laughs> good job, Jack. Good job. So we should probably start with why you moved back to Chicago. Sure. Jump right into it. Right in the deep end, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the reason I moved back to Chicago is because my marriage, which would have just reached five years on the 12th of this month, started collapsing about two years ago. 
And over that period of time, it became clear that my wife did not want to be not only with me anymore, but also not with men. And the realization of all that led to enough friction and bad situations that I really needed a physical barrier, so to speak, between she and I, just so I could get my mind and soul back together. And so I've been back to Chicago, which I already was missing. Like I said, it's been 14 years since I've lived here. And it had bothered me for a while, the idea that I would never again live around all my college friends and my brother and all the people that I love here. So sort of the accidental benefit of it is being able to be back around these people and enjoy them again. But it's been a rough couple of years. It sounds like it. I've never been married. I would imagine when most people get married, they intend for that marriage to last forever. Yeah, certainly I did. So three years in, and you're already experiencing issues, that had to have been like a kick in the balls kind of. Yes. I entered um, this in with good pretenses, but now here we are in a situation that probably felt untenable for you. It did. A further kick in the balls is this is my second divorce, which I don't remember if I mentioned that in the notes or not. You did. But okay. Which oddly, in a way, almost makes this one a little easier, having done it before. But this relationship was a lot longer than that one was. And I really thought I had found the one this time. So it's been very difficult at times. What are you doing to cope? How are you dealing with the fact that this didn't work? Are you at a place of peace with it? I'm not at a place of peace with it. I totally accept that the marriage is over, that the relationship is over. I'm not sitting here hoping we can fix it. I'm sure she feels similarly. We still text and talk here and there. But what I've started doing is going to therapy, which is something that I never thought I would do. I'm not somebody that was like anti the concept of therapy. Like, oh, I'm a man. I don't have to tell anybody what I'm feeling. But I just never thought I would need it. And there were a number of extremely bad nights during the, the course of the last two years where, thanks to all of the pain involved in the, the process of my marriage collapsing and a hefty amount of whiskey, I, I ended up thinking very seriously about killing myself. And a couple nights wandering around my apartment complex, which is a big city block, basically, screaming, I want to die, I want to die. And the cops got called once, and there were only about two or three, that I just woke up the next day and I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I have to try something else. And went on online and got the therapist and started doing it that way at first. And then I switched to where it was through our insurance, which made it much less stressful to do because it was like 25 bucks a session instead of 150 or whatever it had been. And that's been extremely helpful. First, I would dread it every week, almost like having to go to the dentist every week. But very quickly, I noticed that while I dreaded it beforehand, I felt really good right afterward. And any resistance I had to it just melted away. And uh, it's been extremely helpful. I haven't gotten back to those extremely dark spaces in, in a number of months now, five, six months, something like that. So it's been great. That's important. I feel like if you had you had those feelings in the wrong forum, you could have potentially ended up in a hospital. 
as yeah. opposed to being able to just seek out a therapist and find one, which was an experience that I've had and I don't necessarily recommend. But I'm also happy that you appear to be making your way out of this dark space and you're still here because yeah. <laughs> there's no guarantee that whether by intent or by accident that you could not have ended up actually doing the thing that you were talking about doing. Yeah. Which let's call it out. There were a couple nights I was standing in my bathroom with the belt from my bathrobe around my neck. All I had to do was sit down and I wouldn't be here. And I'm very glad I didn't do that, of course. Right. Uh, and there was one particularly bad night, one of the nights of screaming and yelling, where I'm told I went to climb over the patio wall. Now we were on the first floor, so it's not. But I ended up with quite a big um, scraped up thing on my elbow here that has never totally healed. So I've got permanent emotional and physical scars to remind me of. It, was that darkness solely based on your impending divorce or your divor divorce or the relationship falling apart, whatever you want to call it? That's a very good question. I mean, it's certainly been a minute since I've been working and that has been a stress as well. I have plenty of friends out there, so that wouldn't have been part of it. I think also the realization my wife and I had two dogs and knowing that if we split up, I was going to lose one of them, which is what happened, was certainly something I was cognizant of. My parents are both dead. I have one brother. We have an interesting relationship where if we met now as adults, I don't think we'd be close. We're very different people. But growing up, we had the exact same experience. We played games together 24-7. Sports was all of what we did. And we have a shared brain that is just incredible to where a million inside jokes. We can be walking down the street and smell something, and it'll take us like right back to the same spot in 1985 at a baseball field or something. And a wonderful thing that he did was his wedding gift for this wedding, he we were big fans of the Hardy Boys books growing up. And at one point, we had written our own version of one, which hopefully doesn't exist in any form anywhere. Because it, <laughs> it was a couple teenagers in the 80s, and it was very dark. And what he did was he wrote a much nicer Hardy Boys book, incorporating every inside joke he could think of from our youth and had it like it. I mean, it looks like an actual book. It it's probably 150 pages long, something wow. like that. I mean, it was an incredibly thoughtful, hard work gift that he did. And now I'm trying to remember why I brought him up. Oh, yeah. But when Armand died six years ago, and at the point that that happened, we had talked and said, we'd still like to do like a Christmas thing every year, but it doesn't have to be in December, and it certainly shouldn't be anywhere cold. So let's try and figure out a way to do that. And then we've never done it. And so it's it's always hard for me to categorize my relationship with him because he's been wonderful to me a number of times. We were extremely close growing up, but we don't talk much. It's sort of a typical Irish Catholic family thing, I guess, where we, we love each other, but we don't talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> is, huh. I, I wonder why that is. Well, now it isn't a distance thing, obviously. Right. I mean, that's very recent. And I should point out, he's coming up Thursday with my sister-in-law to have dinner with me for Thanksgiving. So that's very nice. And we are, we're in the same fantasy baseball league. 
And during the baseball season, normally we'll talk each Sunday because that's when the matchups end and just kind of recap what went on in the week. But in the off season, which where of course we are right now, we don't talk that much. And so all of this as a long preamble to, in addition to losing Kate and the dog, she has a big family or extended family who had all really taken me in as one of them. And Christmas Eve, there's always a huge party at the house where there'll be 25, 30 people and all this food and all this laughter and fun. And that is all gone for me now. And I say this not out of pity, but just out of reality. There's a very solid chance that I'll be spending Christmas entirely by myself here with Honey. And that will be very, very difficult. But things happen to you and you have to adjust and and we'll see what happens. Are you the type of person who, knowing that you are probably going to be alone on Christmas, will at least reach out to people to say, hey, maybe if they can't come over and hang out with you, at least figure out a way to spend virtual time with them or have them just kind of check in? Not for actual Christmas. Christmas is such a family thing. I really don't want to be the random guy showing up at a family Christmas. That would make me feel awkward, I think, above and beyond what any loneliness I would feel being by myself. Because I can keep myself occupied here. That's not a problem. The complicating factor in all this is Honey, my dog here, because my brother and I have a number of friends, probably a dozen that live in the same town he does, which is down by Illinois State, about two hours drive south of here. None of them are dog friendly. And so if I were to go down there, I would have to do something with Honey, and I don't know anybody here I can leave her with. Right. And I'm certainly not putting her in a kennel. So I really just can't go down there for the moment until I get some sort of friend group here where maybe I could leave her with somebody for a weekend. Right. And again, like I know this is all pretty new. Are you actively working to build or rebuild friend groups where you're at? A bit, yeah. So there's a number of people that I know from college, basically, that all live around Chicagoland. The trouble is none of them know each other. And none of them, other than my friend Erica, who, who lives about 10 minutes from here, the rest of them, it's all about a 45-minute drive in various directions. And I've seen one of them. I'm going to be seeing another one of them in a couple weeks. I'm sorry, I've seen two of them. I'm going to see another one in a couple weeks. And it'd be nice to just build a, a local friend group. We were at a game night last night, me and Erica and Erica's boyfriend, Dan. But that was out in the suburbs, probably a good, probably 35-minute drive. I had a great time. I hadn't met anybody that was there before, except for one woman. But I, I don't think any of them live anywhere near here. So while I think those people will become people I have a great time with at game nights, I don't know that I'll see them outside of that, really. So to build a local friend group here... I'm probably going to have to volunteer at local events and whatever job I end up getting around here, that will certainly help. So there's ways. I just haven't really dug in yet. Sure. I get that the transition's pretty new, but fortunately, Chicago's a big city. 
Yeah. There are lots of people. I mean, you and I are about the same age. If one of us was to move to a small town and then you're like a single guy in your mid to late 40s and it's like, this is weird. Where are all the other people that are our age that don't have kids or grandkids Mm -hmm. at this point? So the the fortunate thing is that you live in a place where it's probably not unusual to be a 47-year-old single guy or not so unusual that you can't find other people who are in the same boat you're in. Right. And you can build community much more easily in bigger cities than you can in smaller cities or rural areas. And one thing that will be helpful with that is, as I was going through the last couple of years of grade school and high school, I got bullied horribly. And I did not really have friends at all during that period. I was on sports teams, but after the games... The rest of the team would go out somewhere, and I was never invited. I remember a weekend that I went out and and did stuff with a couple people, because that was literally the only time in the four years of high school that it happened. Hmm. The rest of the time, if I was not participating in or watching a sporting event, I was not around anybody. I was at home reading or listening to music or playing video games, and... That really affected my self-confidence and self-esteem in a way that I I think maybe now I'm just hacking out of. And a big aid in that certainly was therapy, which I can't recommend enough to everybody. But also, as I was telling people that, that I was moving away from, I found that people held me in an esteem that I I had no idea that I was managing a couple softball teams and people on both teams told me that once I left, it wasn't anywhere near as fun. I had a going away party for myself at a karaoke bar and I I was promoting it like crazy, just hoping anybody would come and it was probably 75 to a hundred people came out. I thought maybe I'd get 20 and it was a real confidence boost and an eye-opener that now I'm not looking at building a friend group here as, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Why would anybody want to be my friend? I'm coming at it from a place of, well, it's going to happen. It's just, you got to figure it out. Right. So I'm coming from a much more calm, I guess, or confident, emotional place than I would have been a year ago or two. Well, let's dig into that self-esteem thing a little bit because as someone who was bullied as a kid, I, there are definitive reasons why I was bullied. Was there a particular thing or were there things about you that put you in a position where you were getting bullied? I think there were several. I was short. I was skinny. I had bad glasses and a, a horrible haircut. Those, I think, were the main ones. Just I was the shrimpy kid and the shrimpy kid's the one that gets it. Once it got to high school, it morphed a little bit because my dad was the coach of every team I was ever on growing up. And that included high school. He was the athletic director at my high school once I got there. And I think there was a jealousy factor amongst some people that felt that maybe I was getting breaks that I didn't deserve. And so there was certainly that aspect of it from a couple specific people. I don't know. Most of it, I think, was the physical stuff, but I think that was part of it, too. Makes sense. That would be a reason why kids would bully another kid. And I don't think a lot of people realize 
how much the shit that happens to you as a kid, which a people will be like, Oh, well, this happens to everybody, but that stuff affects you forever. And, and until you figure out a way to deal with it, until you get somebody to help you walk through that stuff, that stuff is going to stick with you for as long as you live. And an eye opener for me was, well, there were two of them, really. One of them was senior year of high school. By then, I had a better haircut and I didn't have glasses anymore. And I was 5'11 instead of 5'3 or whatever. I was a pitcher on the baseball team and I ended up making the all-area team and the all-conference team. And when that happened, people started coming up to me like, oh, you were so great all season. Like, we're so happy for you. Okay, these people hadn't said a kind word to me in four years, basically. But now that I'm getting accolades... Everybody uh, wants in. Everybody wants in now, yeah. And so that was kind of an eye-opener to the bullshit of it all. And then there was another one just a few years ago. I'd come here just on a visit to Chicago, and I'd reached a place with it all where there was a group of people that even though some of them had done some of the bullying, I was kind of ready to to turn the page and maybe reconnect with people a little bit. And these were people that had been very good friends of mine through grade school. And then once the bullying era started, they joined in a, a bit on that. So at least those people I'd been close to before at some point. And it was people that I'd played basketball with hundreds of games all throughout grade school and had been very close with. So I'd reached out to a bunch of them. And by bunch, I mean probably eight total people to try and get together for a, a dinner out in the suburbs here. And on the night, one of them came and another one happened to be there with other people for something else and spotted us sitting over there and came over to say hi. And all the weight fell off my shoulders at that moment because I just had concrete evidence these people don't think about you. You don't matter to them. So, okay. You let me go. I'm letting you go. Let you go. So be it. And what year is it? 2022. Next year would be our 30th reunion of high school. If there's a reunion, I'm not going. There's a, a tiny, tiny group of people from from those years that I'd be happy to meet up with at a bar and maybe rehash a couple stories or something. But there's an awful lot of people from those years that I either just had no interaction with, and so I don't have any interest in hanging with them now, or that I just actively still don't want to be in a room with. So if there's some grouping that can happen that involves these specific people that I'd be interested in talking to, I'll do that. But anything else? No. That's really interesting. My 30th high school reunion is also next year. Okay. And I'm nosy. I went to my 10th, I went to my 25th, and also I am a 20-minute subway ride from my old high school. Oh, uh, okay. So it doesn't put me out in any major way to be like, eh, I'll block out an afternoon and go see what these people are up to. Sure. To the size of my graduating class, they have not been well attended. I mean, my graduating class was 1,200 people, and there have been maybe 75 people. Oh wow! At the reunions, I, social media I think has also taken a lot of the interest out of out of that yes, stuff. I think you're right. Um, and it, for me, it's not really about the reconnection part of it because I am connected to some of the people that I went to high school with, and I'm friends with them, and we've always been friends. It's just more curiosity, I think. Yeah, I'm pleased. A couple of the real severe bullying people 
this is awfully petty, but they got real fat and they seem like they're miserable. And this is like one of the stars of the football team had the whole school wrapped around his nuts growing up and like, yeah, not so much now, buddy. Um, Some people peak in high school and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I, uh, there's a vanity aspect to all of this uh, as well. Back when I could have shown up to the, uh, to the reunion with a super hot yoga teacher on my arm, that I would have been more interested in going then. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> Of course, because part uh, of that is showing off. It's like, oh, I succeeded. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm living eight blocks from the ocean with a really hot wife. What are you doing? Well, now I'm living in freezing Chicago, and <laughs> my wife left me for a woman. So <laughs> a little less to brag about these days. Right. You know? Would you feel differently about the whole situation if she had left you for a man? Very. Very I'm curious as to why that is. Because it means it's less about me. All of her behaviors, like I said, for about two years, were just pointing at like her soul screaming, I'm gay, even if her mouth couldn't say it. Every TV show she got into, every musician, every comedian, even the news. The only way she'd watch the news was if it was Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper. Like everything was gay themed in some direction we actually got in a big fight during the uh, the run-up to the wedding when we we're planning the wedding there was a gay couple we knew out there that had gotten married a few months before us and the one of the readings at their wedding was literally some of the language from the supreme court decision legalizing gay marriage in that setting it was absolutely beautiful it was perfect it fit she wanted that same reading in our wedding and I'm like, yeah, but we're not gay, so why would we do that? Well, we must advocate for and we must support. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that all the time, but we're inviting people to come 3,000 miles, some of whom we know are Trumpers and conservatives, to come to our wedding. And now we're going to make a political speech basically at them at gunpoint at our wedding? That seems completely inappropriate to me. But no, we must be advocates and blah, blah, blah. And it got to the point where I eventually told her, if that reading's in the wedding, I'm not. And what we ended up doing was the one time we worked together on something correctly, compromised was the word I was looking for there. (laughs) Um, It was the one time we compromised correctly where she took the text of the reading, removed all the stuff about gay marriage, and just left it as a speech about marriage and about love. And we did use that, and it was great. But that was an eye-opener of, again, how much the whole LGBTQ the world was embedded in her soul. And even before that, she had said she would never get married until gay marriage was legalized. And Interesting. So it's Which- always been there, but yeah. And I look, I appreciate that level of allyship. I wonder, I mean, is there the possibility that she's not gay and she's bisexual or somewhere else on the queer spectrum? That's what she is currently claiming, I'm told. We've both blocked each other on social media. I think that's healthy for me, definitely. And like I said, we talk a little bit and we'll text here and there. It's mainly about stuff like, yay, Aaron Judge won the MVP because we're both big Yankee fans. The stuff like that, surface level. Um, sure. Small talk. So f- from what I'm hearing, she is being very loud on social media about being bisexual. It took 
two years of all of her behavior pointing toward women for her to reach the point of now apparently being public about being bisexual, I think she hasn't figured it all out yet. I think there's more realizations to come. And there's stuff I could get into that would maybe make that seem more more accurate but it's a little personal and i don't want to and and it wouldn't be fair to her either that's Um, true and in doing this podcast i I am trying to be very cognizant of being fair to her because obviously she's not here to to defend herself just tell her side of the story yeah and i know she's alluded in the conversations that we've had that she's struggling right now and i i don't want that for her i still care about her i'm sure she still cares about me and she's not a bad person but hasn't made any of the last two years rougher and or any less rough all of that being true right yeah i'm just thinking of what i know about your situation through the lens of a me being a queer person mm-hmm. and me being someone that works a lot in the relationship and sexuality space and just in my head i'm like okay well sexuality is a spectrum There are very few people, I think, and my life experience has kind of proven this out, on either end of the spectrum. Most people are floating somewhere in between. As someone who knows a lot of people on the queer spectrum that are in relationships with other people on the queer spectrum that are open, I feel like there is maybe a scenario in which your situation could have worked without knowing enough about you or your your ex-wife. What you mean? And as part of the conversation, I said to her, do you think if we had tried like an open marriage situation that it would have worked? And without getting into all the specifics of why, we both landed on, yeah, I don't think that would have worked. Okay. I... If I were going to do that, I would have needed a level of total honesty from her about what she was doing that I don't think I would have gotten. And there's insecurities and jealousies that I would have had that would have gotten triggered by any single thing she did with anybody. and Which is not uncommon, but which can also be worked through. I'm also very competitive and I think she would have succeeded much more than I would have. (laughs) I think she would have been having a lot more fun than I would have. And honestly, sort of joking aside, that would have attacked my, my self-esteem. Like she's out there just slamming ass all over Los Angeles. And I'm sitting there with the two dogs watching TV, knowing she's out there doing that. You could have done the same. Um, I think that would have been unlikely. (laughs) Let's put it that way. But I'm also not built like that. I I mean, I don't know who I am right now. I'll figure that out when the dust from all this stuff settles. But my whole life, I've been a guy that I just, I want to be in a relationship with one person and have it just be a completely committed, loving situation. And at the moment, I'm not feeling like that at all. At the moment, I, I, I'm just feeling like if the air conditioner over there wants to hook up, I'll hook up with the air conditioner. <laughs> I, I don't care anymore, but that, that could just be the trauma speaking. It could be. And I wonder how, again, this is just something that is a recurring topic throughout not just this podcast, but throughout the last few years of my life, how realistic that is. Because if you look at statistics... And you see that 
50 something percent of marriages end in divorce. And then you factor in people who are in open relationships, people who are in polyamorous relationships, people who are in unhappy relationships and people yeah. who are cheating. Sure. How many people are able to happily engineer a successful monogamous marriage? That's a very good question. I know people in all of those situations you just described. And once it was clear that my most recent marriage was dead, even though we were still living together and married, we both were with other people. And I, I suspect the percentage of people that are in relationships and cheating on those relationships is probably pretty high. Desiring to cheat. Sure. And af afraid of the idea of getting caught. Well, I certainly don't think monogamy is natural. I just don't. Because there were plenty of people that were friends of ours or people that I knew through the comedy club that I would hang out with that I would have been very interested in having some sort of scenario with. But I didn't. I mean, uh, I have a lot of respect for people that are monogamous and understand that, whatever, we made these vows. And we haven't had a conversation about adjusting those vows at all. So I'm going to stay in the lane that I promised my partner I would stay in. Yeah. I just don't know if that is something that is sustainable. Yeah. As long as that temptation is there at some point, something's probably going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say that, the relationship isn't working. It's in the structure that it was set up in isn't working. And you need to go under the hood and, and make some adjustments. And a thing that I think might have helped us would have been maybe attempting couples therapy. And I pushed for that. And she was not interested in doing it. Cause, and this was after I'd started doing it for myself. And as a show of, I guess, commitment or whatever from her end, we had talked about whether we thought couples therapy would help. We both landed somewhere on the spectrum of, well, let's at least try it. And I said, okay, well, you're a lot busier than I am, what your schedule is, so set it up. And that never happened. And a thing that I learned that would apply to any relationship, but that I learned through that relationship was watch what people's actions are, not their words. Into that. People do what they want to do. And she did not put anything forward to get couples therapy going. And so it never happened. And I don't know that it would have changed where we ended up. It might've actually sped up our decline and saved us some misery, but that's one sort of light resentment that I have at this point is that she clearly did not have the chance to yeah. give it a shot. Yeah. I get that. In the notes, you talked about sort of growing up in Whitey McWhiteville. Oh yeah. Uh, which given our age, you're a year older than me. I was probably also straighty McStraightville. Sure. Sure. And, and I was I was in Catholic school too, right. where obviously that's in my experience, the Catholic world is not the most welcoming to the I also grew up Catholic, so you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> and we came of age during a time when there was a lot of, of messaging that was not conducive to us understanding nuances or exploring or, or, or thing with people who are different from us. And I, I've talked to a lot of people recently and spoken about how not jealous, but envious I am of younger folks, because it seems that people are 
viewing the world from a much less rigid lens than yeah. those of us who were born in the 70s and 80s. And I'm just curious, what was your experience breaking through that rigidity? And you might still even be working on that. I think for me, the give was me being queer. Mm -hmm. So I had to work through shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what has your experience been like coming out of this very monochromatic or monochromatic seeming environment? Because while racial diversity is something that obviously that's very cut and dry, you don't know what's going on in people's heads vis-a-vis -vis their sex life or romantic life right. or anything like that. So you can say you're in a room of all straight people, but the reality situation is that you're probably not in a room right. of all straight people. Mm. So there were about 45 people in my grade school class. There were 93 in my high school class. That's the, so few people. <laughs> well, yeah. It being a Catholic school, there was tuition you had to pay, and the neighborhood changed around the school. And actually, the school's gone now. It's a housing complex. They tore it down and, and just oh, wow. turned the whole area, the football field and the baseball field and the school. It's just houses now, which sort of... I don't think they viewed it as darkly humored, but all the street names are things that had to do with the school. So it's like, okay, great. You remembered us right after you tore us to the ground. Hilarious. Yeah. But, but back to the point. Yeah. Out of that group of whatever, 140 people, some of whom were the same from grade school to high school. So maybe let's say 120. I'm aware of two of them that Fi is something other than straight. And they're actually two-thirds of triplets that I went to high school with. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, this might have just been me being a sheltered kid. One of them, I had no idea. The other one, you could tell. But I, I don't know what might be going on with the rest of them or not. I mean, part of it is just I'm not in contact with them as adults. I haven't seen any of them really since 93. But I lived in a world where the expectation definitely, not even expectation, just assumption was everybody's straight. And then I got to college and obviously it, it's a, a different crowd once you get into a public college with that many more, what, 20,000 students, I think, the world at Illinois State. So you very quickly see a much wider variety of people and I was quite happy for that because my high school experience had been so miserable. Was it culture shock? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> a story that we still tell. They had a thing, which maybe they do at a lot of colleges, called Preview, where it might have been two weeks before classes started. You went down to the school for a weekend. You already knew what your class schedule was going to be at that point. So it was a, a time for you to walk around the campus, figure out where your buildings were, kind of figure out what your routine's going to be, but also just to meet people. And so I knew I was going to be going down there, staying in a dorm room with a roommate who was going to be a total stranger. Who were in line, my mom and I, she drove me down there, and in front of me is this just freak. He had long hair, he's wearing an army jacket, and on the back of the army jacket and safety pins, he had this peace sign. I'd never met anybody like this in my life. And I'm standing there in line and I whispered to my mom, I'm like, God, I hope that guy's not my roommate. <laughs> Thinking there was some elaborate thought out roommate selection process that the school would have done. When in reality, it was just, okay, the first two people you're in this room, the next two people you're in that room. So I had a 50% chance of being this guy's roommate. And it turned out after we got the key and everything, my mom and I went to lunch and then she left 
I go to my room, I open the door, there's nobody in there, but there's the army jacket laying on the bed. And I was like, oh, no. And so later, the guy comes into the room, and he's all proud of himself. He's bought a blacklight, and he's so excited about the blacklight. I'd never heard of blacklights. I don't know what the hell it is. And that was my friend Jeff, who's been as good of a friend to me as I've had for 30 years. We just immediately got along, and then it turned out, when we got to school the couple weeks later, he was living a floor below me in the dorm. And so we reconnected and, and it was great immediate experience in stop judging books, man. Cause I, I have kind of a similar story. I moved out when I was 17, I started living on my own and first apartment that I, I rented was with another person that I worked with. And my friend Paul, or our, actually we all worked together. Our friend Paul helped me move in. And my roommate at the time, Harry, had was a black guy with blonde dreads. Okay. And Paul had his hair in like a ponytail also. And a relative helped me move my things into the apartment. And then he went back home and told his wife, well, I think Mike is moving in with a bunch of fruity guys or something like that. They're both straight as an arrow. I already was not. Yeah. It's like... It, these archaic ideas of what anything looks like. Yeah. It's so, so kind of backwards. Mm -hmm. um, and thankfully that was 30 years ago. And I'd like to think that there are people that are different in their thinking now, but there are also some people who still think that because someone looks a certain way or dresses a certain way or speaks a certain way that they're, you know, not that it matters, but there's something they think they know something about that person just based on the way that they look. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. And I, by the time I got to junior year, my best friend at that moment was this guy named Roger, who we all suspected was gay, but he wasn't out. Now he is. And I, I found him to be extremely funny. He had this great cynical sense of humor. And we we're both huge Seinfeld fans. So um, I'm just hanging out with him all the time. And the day my junior year started, I had dislocated my shoulder a couple days prior, and so I couldn't drive myself to college. So my parents had driven me down there, got all my stuff unloaded, and then they left. And it was later that night, this was on a Sunday, that my dad discovered that I had somehow ended up with his keys, which included all the keys to the school, his <laughs> office, everything. He had to have them back that night. And so Roger was nice enough to drive me the two hours back up to Bloomingdale, the town that I grew up in, just to hand the keys over, have dinner, get back in the car and go down. Well, the next time I talked to my parents, they're like, seems like Roger might be gay. And I'm like, yeah, we all think he is. And they were clearly worried that this was going to have an effect on me. Now, part of that was, I had never so much expressed interest in a girl at this point, much less gone on a date or had a girlfriend or anything. So not completely out of the woods for them to be wondering where I was. And my parents were not hateful people at all. I remember after my dad died, which was 2001, there were kids at the school that either came up to us and said or sent letters about how they'd felt like they were kind of alone at the school and that my dad had picked up on that and reached out to them to try and make them feel more included, which I know was a specific thing he worked on doing even more than he had been after Columbine happened. 
he wanted to be to find the outcasts and bring them back bring them back in but i think they just grew up in a really catholic world where they weren't comfortable with everything and so that was kind of an eye-opener because that was literally the first time the topic of in that specific situation homosexuality had ever come up ever and that's just the world i grew up in so getting to college and the thing that that made me it kind of cracked open and got rid of any crap I needed to get rid of in terms of how I thought about people. Really had to do more with just how kind everybody was, whether they were super athletic people or nerds or goth or wherever on the sexual spectrum. Everybody was just kind. And when people are kind to you, you want to be kind to them. So I think that experience of college just immediately being so good did a lot to make me more welcoming of everybody that I came across. I think that's really important. What's the word that I'm looking for? I I think that immersion is a really good way to rid yourself of any prejudices or discomfort that you may have. That's a great word. I think you're exactly right. And you see it in the political world now. A lot of the people who are not on the side of diversity or not on the side of equality are people who come from these environments where they're scared of anything different. Mm -hmm. Everybody looks like them. Everybody talks like them. Everybody prays like them. Or at least it seems that way because the reality and the presentation are usually two very different things. And they just want to hold on to that sort of monochromatic structure because they're afraid of anything that that looks even a little bit different, whether it's an immigrant or they're afraid to find common ground with people. And I think in some ways they're afraid to find common ground with people because it will reveal things about themselves that they don't want to deal with. Hmm. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And kind of like what you said, what people present themselves as is is often bullshit. Again, at the super Catholic high school, there were <clears throat> this one guy who was the principal for a while was viewed as this charismatic figure and he'd been a coach and been really successful and everybody thought the world of him come to find out like he was banging some of the students Jesus and I don't want to say his name but him and a a couple other people would go to this bar near the school after the school day was done and get so drunk they could hardly even speak and it's just I think a lot of people are acting And not to be armchair psychiatrist, I think that's why a lot of people drink to excess or fucking do drugs or whatever, immerse themselves in church because they're trying to hide something about themselves that they're not comfortable with. And when you are truly comfortable with yourself, you don't need a crutch. Right. Yeah. So certainly in my current situation, these last couple of years, I've done a hell of a lot of drinking to the point where I even went to a solid handful of AA meetings trying to figure out, do I actually have a problem here? And there's people that I know that are very successful in AA. None of them think that I actually have a problem. My ex doesn't think I have a problem. And since I've really accepted that the relationship is over, the amount I've been drinking has dwindled significantly. So yeah, I think it was just a crutch, but you're right. People have crutches for any number of things. Absolutely. I, drinking is one of those things that I think is also sort of a spectrum. Like it, there are people that 
function very well on large amounts of alcohol. Yeah. So it's not a problem. And I've certainly had some of my therapists in the past say, maybe you need to check your drinking. And I am not a heavy drinker by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. So I think there is a, a spectrum to that as well. Personally, I'm like, if you get fucked up every once in a while, that's you. Yeah. Being drunk in the moment can be fun. The aftermath, maybe not so much. Right. <laughs> but if I'm, I mean, maybe not so much out with friends anymore, but if I'm hanging out at a friend's house and we're just chilling out, I'm going to put a few shots back. And it doesn't say anything about me negatively. I'm just hanging out with my friends and having a good time. And it loosens inhibitions a little bit and I get yeah. a little bit more talky and it's a party. Maybe if I was sitting at home drinking half a bottle of whiskey every other night, I'd be like, hey, maybe there's a little bit of a problem, but that's not the case. Right. Yeah. And same here. We went to a game night last night and I think there were 12 of us there and I knew four of the people. And I traditionally am very nervous when I'm meeting new people, as I imagine it's true of a lot of people. But I had gone over to Erica's and then we went to the game night from there. So I knew when we got back, I was going to have to drive back to here where I'm living. And so I knew, well, I can't use alcohol to loosen myself up too much here. But, you know, again, I think it's the confidence that I've gotten from seeing how much people actually thought of me in LA was a huge help last night because I just felt like people are going to like me if I'm just myself because that seems to be traditionally what has been happening for the last 25 years ever since I got away from those people in high school right and this is a do as I say, not as I do type situation. Yeah. If people don't like you for what you are, then fuck them. Yeah. It's oh. not an easy thing to remember all the time, but even if you remember it some of the time, it's important. Mm -hmm. And easier said than done too, yeah. certainly. Even if you have it in mind, if you're hanging out with people and there's somebody you really want to become friends with and they clearly don't want to know, that's still hard to... Right. But, so uh, be it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, have you given a lot of thought to what this next phase of Jack's life is? Well, certainly there'll be a job in there uh, somewhere. That's something I've got to get figured out. I There's things I very much enjoy doing. I like being on trivia teams. I like playing softball. I like doing karaoke. All of those things I'm in different stages of figuring out already. I've gone and done karaoke a few times here already, but I don't know anybody here, so it's just been me standing there at the bar in between my turns to sing, watching all these other people that are there with five or six friends having a great time, and I'm just like, well, phone, I guess. But a friend of mine in LA was very kind to reach out. Somebody that had moved to LA from Chicago put me in touch with somebody they played softball with here. So... Now it's 15 degrees. There's not going to be softball. Yeah, ain't going to be no softball. Mm -mm. For another six, seven months probably. But at least I'm already in contact with people where I can build something there. So I know the kind of things, like I was just listing, that I like to do with my with my spare time. And it the, the most important thing is going to be to just really develop a friend group here. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying before. Whoever I'm working with will certainly be part of that. But also just doing volunteer stuff in the neighborhood, maybe taking Honey here to a dog park, even though she doesn't really like other dogs. <laughs> at least I could meet people that way. Right. So it's just going to take a effort on my part to put myself out there and be a, a bit of a, a nudge to get into people's lives. But I can look back and just empirically say that experience shows that when people get to know me, they like me. 
And that's not something I've really felt most of my life was the case. And I, I don't mean that to sound arrogant that I feel that way now because I, it's, I think, factually true based on what has happened. So You have evidence. I have evidence. And I'm a pretty evidence-based guy, I, I like to think, most of the time. So it's just putting the effort to get out there, believe in myself, and point my life and self in the directions that are, are going to be healthy and good. And I, I love the fact that you're not letting the experiences that you've had ruin you or damage you too hardly. Well, I certainly did that a lot. Like I was kind of saying, all the all those experiences with the bullying and everything, that that I let that hold me back for a long time. If I could do anything differently, I would have started therapy back then. I think it would have made a sea change difference in a bunch of things if I had done that, but I'd beaten myself up over it that I did I certainly didn't grow up in a world that would have welcomed therapy. I don't think any of us did back then. Mid-90s, that just wasn't a thing. If you went to therapy, you were screwed up, man. Yeah, yeah, you were super fucked up. That's another thing that's been amazing to find out over the course of all this. When I first started doing therapy, I would just kind of drop it into conversations with like close, close friends. And it turns out most of them are doing it too. And I just didn't know. So that's one thing I'm really happy about in society. It really seems like the stigma around that is just gone. It's going. Yeah. I don't think it's gone. I've been in therapy for 15 years now. And it's something that I didn't start doing until I was 31. And I think there is a huge stigma still around going to therapy. I think that goes double for men. And I think beyond that, it goes double for men of color and and straight men. Now, although I think just men in general have issues admitting that they are vulnerable and and part of acknowledging that vulnerable part of going to therapy is acknowledging that there are things that you can't solve yourself yeah Mm. and again part of what i do is try to normalize that conversation for folks because i think the world would be a much fucking better place if more people sought out therapy Mm -hmm. acknowledge that they have issues in their lives that they can't fix by themselves yeah it kind of touches on the whole religious aspect of life too. These people that use religion as their answer for everything. I grew up, as we've discussed, in a heavily Catholic world, although uh, I always kind of laugh because the one thing that was more important than religion was what time the Bears were playing on Sundays. (laughs) We, we, We would plan when we went to church around what time the Bear game was. But to me, you know, pretty much right when I got to college, I was surrounded by people who didn't grow up in a religious setting and had questioned it and thought about it in a way that I never had. You weren't raised to question it. You were just raised to do it. It's what it is. And look, plenty of people get peace and comfort mentally or emotionally from being in a religious world. Good for them. I want everybody to have that. But that went away real fast for me once I got to college. And so for me now, it's music, really. It's whatever gives you comfort about things there are no answers to. And for me, if I'm having a bad day, I throw the Beatles on for half an hour, I'm in a good mood. And that's been especially useful over these last couple of years of great sadness. There's a lot of music I can't listen to right now because it's just too raw. 
pretty much anything with minor chords in it is verboten for <laughs> foreseeable future. But whether it's uh, religion, whether it's therapy, whether it's for me, sort of therapy and music, whatever people use to give themselves inner peace, it's all good. It's just however we get there. And like you said, you, you got to start with acknowledging that you need it. And then however you get it, as long as you're not hurting anybody by anybody doing else it, right. is good. Right. I agree. I want to give a big shout out to Jack for uh, taking the time to speak to me and also for just being so honest and open about his experiences. Uh, if you would like to know more about Jack, you can follow him on Twitter at LaughJack15 and you can follow him, him on Instagram at Epitome of Nonsense. Uh, once again, Jack McDonald, thank you very much for taking the time to sit and chat. Let's do it again soon. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace